I didn't choose the Stug Life. The Stug Life chose me. This is the Veteran Wargamer. This is the Veteran Wargamer. I am your host, Jay Arnold. In this episode, episode 38, I speak with super guest Chris Arnold, a previous guest Joel Franklin, and brand new guest Eric Huck about the Two Fat Lardies' latest game, What a Tanker. That's right, two episodes in a row of What a Tanker goodness. Guys, welcome to the show. How are you doing tonight? Doing great. Oh, I'm doing great. Doing excellent. For those of you not in the know... Joel and Eric are both longtime gaming buddies of mine and regular attendees to my J3 gaming weekend. So, just to give you an idea of where they're coming from. But in the meantime, all new guests to the show get asked the same question, and that is what makes you a veteran wargamer? So, Eric, what makes you a veteran wargamer? Well, I've been uh, gaming with, uh, well, first of all, I'm a longtime listener of your podcast, and I appreciate that there's a, a an actual veteran element, so thank you for your service. And uh, I myself am not a veteran, but have been gaming with veterans all my life. Um, uh, war gaming to me is somewhat nebulous because it's just war games, so I have a broad idea of what that is. My brother and I would take gravel from our parents' driveway and throw them at lines of army men, so I, I guess I I count that as my first experience. No dice, but uh, the results were pretty conclusive when the guys went down. And then during the winter, we would form out uh, armies from our castle Legos and throw toothpicks at them like arrows. So, uh, and then we'd move into Malie, which was a negotiation of uh, who won there. Uh, later, uh, I got into RPGs mostly, um, but I got I was into Axis and Allies and Shogun, um, mm-hmm. these, and uh, played quite off, uh, many, many hours of, of Axis and Allies. Uh, my first miniatures at Wargaming was Battletech. We played ma- mainly uh, 3025, uh, but we got into the new stuff too. And I, I was able to pick up a ton of models really inexpensively at my uh, local game store. Um, mm-hmm. I dabbled a little bit with Warhammer 40k in the 90s, but I could never afford those miniatures, so we played little skirmish games with the Space Marines and the Gene Stealers. Um, with a uh, with a mutual friend, and uh, uh, ultimately that that I turned that into an RPG because we didn't have enough to do the big battles. So I did a little bit of a RPG like uh, dungeon crawl with those miniatures. Oh, nice! Yeah, and then during college, uh, we went back to RPGs, mostly Dungeons and Dragons and uh, Star Wars uh, D6 because we could afford those. But I actually created a, a another. Uh, a game, uh, a RPG based off of XCOM, the compu- computer game. I love that oh, original okay. game so much. I actually we played a lot of that. Where it was like a, we had little units of guys. Um, I still run an RPG now, so I mean it's been over 20 years running the same game, same world. Nice. Um, so one thing I really like about our hobby is that uh, you know we have some longtime friendships. I mean, like I said, I'm playing with the same guys I played with when I was uh, in eighth grade. And, uh, you know, in college, I was uh, hanging out with a buddy, mutual friend, the guy I was playing uh, 40K with. And uh, we talked, Jay and I talked gaming. And when I returned to Illinois much later, he, he remembered that I, I was into it. And he invited me to his con. And I've been doing most of his gaming experiments since. And I really enjoy them. Um, the Arnolds introduced me to Chain of Command, another two fat lardies game. And that's one of my favorite games of all time. And uh, now we're going to 
uh, talk about what a tanker, which is yeah, pretty solid. Yeah, it's we've we've had a lot of fun with it so far. Um, see, this is we're recording on April sixteenth. The rules were released on April 9th in PDF format. I noticed that uh, uh, on the Twitterverse, some Americans have been getting their hard hard copies in the mail today. Uh, no luck for me. Uh, maybe in the next day or two. But uh, before we before we go too far down uh, this particular whole, because we we've got a review. We're gonna review the game. Uh, all four of us have either played in person or over over a Google Hangout, and actually you can see a video of uh, a Google Hangout that that we did, basically playing through the rules, and uh, the link for that will be in the show notes. So, I, I guess we need to talk about what what a tanker is. Uh, what a tanker is the latest game from Two Fat Lardies, as as we just said, you know, released in the last week or so. And in what a tanker, you are you play the role of a tank commander with one tank, maybe two, possibly three. The Lardies themselves just released a video uh, with Nick and Richard uh, playing the game, and they've got two vehicles each. And all again, the video. The link for that video will be in the show notes as well. I guess what we really need to say is that it is set in World War II, and we might be jumping around a little bit, but in our discussion of of, of the game, but uh, bear in mind that we're just really excited about this game and really like it a lot. I guess where we need to start is pause your listening of the podcast now, go listen to all two hours of episode 37, and then come back to this. We'll wait. <laughs> Not for the whole two hours, though. <laughs> we can play Water Tanker. I got some time. Yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so, you've listened to episode 37, and now you're back to episode 38. So, anyway, um, now, we've got a PDF, and we've got the PDF... And it is 75 pages. The back cover's not included, so I'm guessing with the back cover you could call it 76. But I think officially they refer to it as 72 pages. Does that sound right? In, in the hard yeah, copy 72 form. 72 pages which, with two pages of index. Yeah. So, and, and like their more recent full-color books, it's very nicely produced. The, like I said, it's full-color it's got some nice illustrations in it uh, describing how certain aspects of the game work. Uh, a couple of charts, a couple of tables, nothing real drastic. Um, relatively easy to read. They've got some nice font selection, just speaking from a technical standpoint. Um, they've got some color around this perimeter of the pages, but the text itself, like I said, very easy to read. There isn't a lot of background images with the text over it so if you do have a hard time reading some of the more modern full color game books uh, don't worry that that's not going to be an issue here I sat and read through the rules uh, the night that I got the PDF uh, and it was a good it took me about an hour and a half to read through them they're not particularly complex 
Uh, the Lardis have a writing style that's very easy to grasp. It does help to have some previous grounding in Lardy rules, I feel. But it's not necessary. I, I feel like uh, someone brand new to the Lardy rules uh, should be able to, to pick them up pretty pretty easily. Um, guys, your thoughts on the on the book itself and just readability? Well, if, if I could jump in. I, uh, Please. I first looked over the rules in about 20 minutes over lunch, and one of the things I like about them is the organization. Mm -hmm. um, I picked up on the gist of it in that, that 20 minutes. You know, the command dice didn't have all the minutia down, couldn't quote to you what the two-hit value had to be or what the strike value of a Panzer IV was. But, you know, with some experience with wargaming, with some experience with, uh, you know, Chain of Command from Two Fat Lardies, it was very easy uh, to pick up. So again, just the gist of it, you can grasp by you know, reading bits and pieces of it, skimming it, um, you're looking over the table of contents. It's a very simple game um, when you first get into it, and then you can layer on as much complexity as you want to. So I appreciated that about the layout and the design of the book, that you know, I didn't have to read it cover to cover to understand what was going on in page two. It's like, you know, look at the table of contents, look at the pretty pictures, look at what you do with the one, a two, a three, and it's like, wow, that is a really nicely laid out, nice, simple uh, system to start with. Yeah, I, I have to agree with Joel. Um, the layout of the book is very well done. Uh, just, as you said, the technical aspects of readability, um, the font choices are, are very well thought out, and even the examples uh, at the end of each section, um, they reference the previous uh, section, so you actually get to, f you know, feel what a turn uh, go through is like. Um, just really well done, and then, you know, the grouping of different concepts, like there's one page that just has the different uh, attributes listed, and the page with the uh, six die type on there. It just makes it uh, a much easier and quicker read through. Uh, and, and the ability to, to grasp exactly what's going on uh, fairly quickly. It's all very well laid out, I gotta say, overall. And uh, it's got a table of contents in an index, which is pretty much a must-have these days. Um, man, the index, it's got, it's got everything. I mean, for a 72-page book, to have two pages of index, that's pretty solid. Oh, I was going to say, just even the simplicity of the game, they, they give you a fairly decent, you know, very, very concise rule set. Then they distill it down into individual samples, but then even even more distilled, they have a single page that is a flowchart of how to play the game, and um, once you've played a few times, you really only need that one flowchart. <laughs> I thought that was yeah. pretty impressive. And the fact that you can play it with multiple scales, it, you know, that was always kind of nice. To, you, you know, you don't need that many models, so it's right. nice to get in off the ground. I don't have any World War II models, but, um, you know, I made a few purchases online, and I'll be able to play this now pretty pretty easily. Yeah. The uh, Now, the Lardis, to my understanding, have pretty much always been uh, scale agnostic when it comes to the models that you play their games with. 
Uh, my understanding is they typically go for 28 mil because it looks nicer in a show or convention setting, which which is understandable. You know, they want to they want to draw the the eye, they want to draw the attention. Um, speaking of scale, we'll diverge from our uh, from our show notes real quickly. We have chosen to go with 15 millimeter uh, primarily because we're already invested in 15 millimeter for World War II. And having, uh, if you want to take a look at the photos from our uh, rollout, what a tanker rollout at Titan Games in Springfield, Illinois, uh, I'll have the that Twitter thread uh, listed in the show notes. So go ahead and take a look at that. I think it looked pretty darn good in 15 mil. Uh, that was what a 42 inch by 60 inch plane area we had, something like that. That math that you've got, Chris? Uh, roughly, yeah. R- roughly uh, almost four feet by almost six feet. Uh-huh. So, like, maybe 46 by 70, something like that. Okay, so just shy. Um, so, yeah, it was a good size, yeah. good size table. But the 15 mil vehicles just look great on it at that size, I think. Um, I know that it... Yeah. They recommend if you're going to use the smaller stuff, the 10 or 6 mil, to uh, convert all your measurements to centimeters from inches. I'm not sure that would even be necessary with 10 mil. I think it would look fine at 10 mil with uh, with the uh, uh, distances in inches. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it just uh, looks was... better. Um, I, I, I watched the Lardy video uh I subjected the wife to watch it also on the big screen and although the models looked beautiful and the table was was excellent it the ranges just seemed so short between the tanks mm-hmm. because they're so big on the table right and I've got to agree with Chris on that I was looking at some of the the pictures they'd posted on the the what a tanker Facebook group and it looked really cool at the level of the individual model. You know, the pictures are taken probably, you know, 10, 15 back, and you can still pick out details on the armored vehicles. But then you realize that, uh, you know, Tommy can reach over and pretty much knock on Jerry's door there. They seem to be so close. Yeah. The, uh, I think the way to, I think the way to remedy that, if you're using those larger models, would be to just increase your sizes. So, like, 28 mil, go ahead and bump up to one and a half or two inches. And if you were crazy and wanted to, you know, whatever you define 28 mil as, you know, 164th or 156th, some people even go so far as to call 148th 28 mil, uh, and they're all insane. But uh, you know, if you were, if you really wanted, if you really wanted to go crazy with it and do like 135th and convert all your measure, you know, play on a floor and convert all your your Measurements to like three or four inches, that would be spectacular. That would be spectacular. Right. But that's just my opinion. I really, I really do need to take just a moment to to decry the total lack of Polish tanks in the pictures. I mean, I understand if they don't have them all the way through the book, but they could at least have put them on maybe the first two or three pages. My understanding is they are going to be coming out with the the smaller nation tanks uh, as supplements. Yeah. 
you know, and that was that was something else I've been looking at because you know, I, I think uh, everybody who's who's here this evening knows that I have a, a predilection for the polls. Sure. Um, you know, the Polish 7TP is the same as the Russian T26, and so you know, you you can do some some basic interpolations there. And the other thing is, you know, this is not a game where you have to worry about, you know, the angle of the armor on the front glacis plate and, you know, precisely how many millimeters. There's basically two big numbers, you know, how many dice do you roll to hit, how many dice do you roll for, for defense. And, you know, the resolution is, you know, large enough that uh, you can pick a tank, pick a tank that's kind of like the one that you like and say, you know, that's what I'm going to use. That's what I'm going to basically proxy in for. Mm -hmm. The other Absolutely. thing I was looking at this week was the um, the Hungarian, the Zrinyi, and the Turin. And, uh, you know, I'm looking at armor values. I'm looking at the size of guns. I realize, you know, this one, this is basically a, a Stug 4. And this one is basically a Panzer 3. And that's the stats I'm going to use. Yeah, I, I, I can't agree more. That's absolutely well within the purview of anybody that wants to play. And I think it's well within the spirit of Lardy rules to do that yourself, absolutely. And, you know, anybody that wanted to come up with their own career ladder also, and we'll talk about the career ladder here in a little bit, you know, that's, you, that's well within yeah, that's your nice purview. Touch. And I would be more than happy to play uh, Early War against, you know, Joel, if you came up with a career ladder for polls in 1939. <laughs> gonna be a really short one jay well you know <laughs> you, yeah, like you could do the, well you know i mean i mean it's, your, it's a, your other alternative is all right are you gonna have british british and american sponsored polls or are you gonna have soviet sponsored polls in 44 and 45 you know now that's an interesting right. idea i hadn't even thought about that yeah so just uh, just a heads up, I do have I got some uh, Flames of War or Battlefront Soviet uh, tank decals in, which included a large number of Polish eagles. Cool. If, you're, if, if you would be interested in those. I just might be. <laughs> so, anyway we're getting off track. Ah, get it? Off track? Tank game? Anyway. Uh -huh. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, I guess so we better get back job. on track. No, I, I wouldn't dare. Um, so anyhow, so we should probably talk about how the rules work real briefly. Just like any other game, there's a there's a section on setting up the table and what you need to play and that sort of thing. And uh, we won't insult your intelligence with that. They do give some very basic scenarios that I guess you could, if you weren't if you weren't playing a scenario, a set, a written scenario, or you were doing like a club night type event, where no one in particular set up the scenario, they do offer three ways to set up your table uh, deployment zones, and then they have a play mode called King of the Ring, and uh, basically King of the Ring, you just keep bringing on tanks until you're done playing. So you lose a tank, you bring another one on, and you just keep going from there. Now, one way I've described the game to non-historical wargame players is it's like World of Tanks, the video game, but on a tabletop. And that really seems to be the, the feel that 
the Lardies have gone for in some respects. That being said, I can definitely see playing this game with an actual written historical scenario. And more on that here in a little bit. But, as far as the actual play of the game is concerned, just like with any other game, you're going to start with initiative. And for to the Lardy's credit, they have a pretty simple initiative system where you just roll a d6 and the high die goes first. If you get a tie, you, you dice off between those and you go from there. One neat thing that they included in the book are some order counters that you can uh, print off the PDF or photocopy and cut out a 1 through 12. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess that 12 is probably the optimum or not the optimum but the most people you want to have playing at one time. Uh, so if you happen to be playing multiple tanks per player, you roll a die for each tank on, in the game. Uh, so for example, yesterday for a while we had one player with two tanks and it seemed to work pretty well that you just roll a die for each tank and then you hand out the play order markers as needed and at the end of the turn you draw them back you pull those markers back in and go from there now just like chain of command and the latest edition of sharp practice you activate your element with a hand of activation dice in this case all vehicles start with six dice chris wants you run down the what you what you can do with with the with those dice Sure. So when you roll your hand of dice, whatever comes up is what you get to do with them. Uh, if you roll a one, that's called a drive die, or they call it a drive dice, and that allows you to move. Then the uh, second die, uh, or the two die, gives you the uh, acquire uh, ability. The three die gives you aim, four gives you the ability to pull the trigger and shoot, five gives you the ability to reload your gun, and six is what they call the wild dice, and that is allowed to be changed into any other die facing, so you roll a six and you can make it a one, two, three, four, or five. It also does some other things in the context of sure the game, but we'll yeah. probably get into that when we get into the weeds. Right. Okay. Yeah, the wild die, real briefly, the wild die not only not only allows you to change change that to any die you want, you can also hold it back to uh, add one to your initiative roll for the next activation, or for the next turn, excuse me, and also allows you to remove... Uh, temporary damage, but more on damage here in a minute. So, as we're moving down the list, I guess the next thing we, we need to talk about is movement. So, movement's pretty simple, and what I really like about the way they've written the movement rules is that you don't have to get out a protractor and spend a lot yeah. of time really worrying about the movement. And I suppose a lot of that has to do with you know they don't write rules for uh, tournament play. They just don't. You could, I guess, you could play this for tournament play. Um, and actually, we're we're talking about somewhat of a tournament format uh, to take to conventions. But 
Eric, you want to cover movement for us? Uh, sure. So if you roll a 1, um, you then can move forward 2d6 inches. Um, or you can reverse 1d6 inches. Now, you can basically, I think, turn up to uh, 90 degrees. And so that's where that, that wiggle room is. It, mm -hmm. You don't have to be super exact. You just have to kind of be within 90 degrees. Um, I, I really like that. It's so much easier than trying to get a protractor out. Um, they have a number of really good examples in the book on how to do movement, so that that was helpful. Um, as part of your move, you can do a free turret rotation if your tank has a, a turret, um, and they can move up, I think it's 60 degrees, and there's a little hex token that, you know, has those, auto, you know, those 60-degree those uh, arcs in them, so you can just kind of use that as a template. Um, you know, if you... As part of your movement, they've got some rules for uh, running into some obstacles, which they, you know, split into major and minor obstacles. Like a, you can go through buildings as a major obstacle or through a wall, but uh, like a low wall or a hedge are considered to be minor obstacles, and they just slow you down by a die. Um, and then, you know, they've got some rules for getting into woods and driving on roads. Oh, they have a kind of a cool section, which we haven't used yet, but if you drive a tank across a bridge <laughs> that you have to roll and it's possible that the bridge goes out from underneath you I yeah. just thought that was awesome um, I can't wait for that to happen to <laughs> one of the Arnolds <laughs> um, there's actually some rules for like going through a minefield or ramming I mean they got pretty much everything in there but drive is pretty easy you can do multiple drives and uh, are we going to get into like the the certain like fast yeah, tanks we or you want to talk about, about that later, later. Actually, let me go ahead and... Okay. Yeah, I think that covers, covers drive. And they've got a really great uh, graphic in the book Yeah. on how to do drive. Yeah, it, it should be noted that every single die has an explanation for how it's used in a game. And they, they give an example as if you're watching a game being played. And, and that's the case for pretty much everything right. we're going to talk about. Uh, in in this episode, so you could have like multiple drives. So you could, if you rolled three ones, that's not bad. It just means that you're going to be moving across yeah. the board potentially if you exactly. want. Exactly. Right. Now, now one thing I found interesting in watching the uh, the Lardy video is mm -hmm. whereas we were playing it. Okay, I'm going to use this one to move forward. Here's my two d six, and I'm going to do it again. Here's my two d six. They were just saying, okay, I'm going to use these three drive dice and I'm picking up six d6s and rolling and that's my move oh okay I, I found that very interesting I still think I'm going to go with the, the two at a time um, mm -hmm. just because especially if I'm going to be playing like tank destroyers um, I want to have a little more granularity of my movement of saying, okay, I am going to go ahead and roll these two to see where it gets me. Do I want to go ahead mm -hmm. and hold off and use that other one to be able to move back or, or whatnot? So right. but it was very interesting. I didn't even think about you know just picking up and rolling them all at once. Yeah. If you rolled all of your dice at once and you happened to roll poorly or really well, you could maneuver to a more advantageous position is if in, instead of if you were rolling it one at a time because yeah, you true. could be caught out 
doing it one at a time, but if you did them all at once, you'd be like, ah, you know what, I'm not actually mm-hmm. going to go the whole way this time because I don't right, want right, to be out absolutely. in the middle of this field. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, dry is very simple. Like I said, you know, it's... I'm not going to name the rules, but there are there is a certain set of rules whereby you know you do have a protractor out and you're measuring stuff to the millimeter into the you know to a single degree and yeah I just don't have time for that anymore you know that's that that's not my bag so it's I'm glad that they I'm glad they wrote the drive rules the way they did is, is I guess what I'm I guess is what I'm trying to say so. They're very friendly rules. Very friendly rules, right. So, moving right along, the number two die is acquisition, and Joel, want you acquire some information for us? (laughs) I go against what they say in the book, and I just call this the spotting die. Uh, They they do talk about the fact that target acquisition is more than than spotting, but you roll a two to acquire a target, or to, to, to spot. And essentially, this is, this may sound kind of silly, but this is my favorite die, uh, just in the sense that here's where you really start to see some of the friction that can occur uh, in commanding a tank. It's, it's one thing for the commander, you know, to spy through his periscope, or maybe he's, he's got his shoulders out, and he sees a target off in the distance there, but now he's got to make sure that the tank is pointed in that direction, so you've got to tell the driver, hey, you know, shift around to the left. He's got to make sure that the gunner knows, no, not that tank, the other tank. No, 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 the other one, your other left. And so having to acquire a target is a part of the friction that the, um, the tank commander can experience. So I, I just like the, the notion that you have to acquire it before you can aim, uh, before mm-hmm. you can shoot. But essentially the target acquisition uh, piece there's some complexity there in that, you know, if, if I'm two inches away and there's no cover between us, it's really easy. All I need is a, uh, you know, a single two, a single die to acquire that target. But if I'm looking, you know, over a hedgerow into some woods and you're a really low slung target, then I've got to have more of those dice to spend. I've got to roll multiple twos just to acquire that target. Now, once, once I've acquired a target, it stays acquired. So I don't need to reacquire target every every turn. I can roll a bunch of twos this turn, acquire a difficult target, and then maybe next turn fire on it. Or you know if something is up close and personal, I can you know acquire, shoot, and reload. But in in a nutshell, though, again, what I like about it, it helps reflect some of the friction of uh, the tank commander. And the more difficult a target would be to see based on intervening terrain, the more target acquisition dice you have to spend on that. Yeah, and, and an important aspect also is that as long as you maintain line of sight to the target vehicle, you maintain your acquire. I guess we forgot to mention there is a uh, little uh, what a tanker dashboard that each player will have for each one of their vehicles. And it's, a, it's used to uh, denote the rules regarding the tank, the... Uh, the strike value, the armor value, any attributes it has, and we'll discuss those later. But also uh, a couple of different statuses that uh, the tank has, and those are, I, I like I said, we should have mentioned this, mentioned this earlier. Those are buttoned, and that means whether or not we've got people with their heads sticking out of the vehicle, looking around and seeing what's going on. You've got acquired, which means you know whether or not you have acquired an enemy vehicle. 
aimed, which is if you've got the gun, actually got the crosshairs on the target vehicle, and then loaded. And that's exactly what it sounds like. It's, you know, you've got a round in the chamber ready to shoot. And uh, you start the game loaded and unbuttoned, uh, unacquired and unaimed. So uh, acquire does, like I said, acquire can, uh, can stay on as long as you maintain line of sight to a to the target enemy vehicle. So I think that brings us to the aim die, which is the which is the number three die. Be so, before Jay, before oh. we go on, I just wanted to say if you guys are starting the game loaded, that probably explains why you're having so much fun. Ah, <laughs> ah this guy, this guy. Ha 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 ha. Ah. That's yeah. probably the worst one so far. Yes, yes. The night is young. So, and, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. Anyway, um, uh, aim die. Uh, Eric, you want to cover the aim die real quick? Uh, sure. So, once you've acquired a target, um, as Joel mentioned, you have to then aim in on it so that you're not... I think this covers up that, you know, what angle are you shooting the front plate at, uh, and, it, and it's super easy. There's no protractor here either. Um, you determine your arc of aim, which is really simple if you're in a turreted tank or it's directly ahead at 60 degrees for a non-turreted tank. Um, you can use more than one aim die, so if you have multiple threes, you can then start to um, add in more dice to your... Basically, you're going to use this to modify your attack roll to see if you hit. You can aim while you're unloaded, but you then have to roll reload before you fire so you could potentially have something acquired and aimed but have no shell in your in the chaos of battle you might not have mm -hmm. it might not be loaded um, you lose aim when um, you know both tanks mo move you have to re-aim or if you lose line of sight and then if you roll on your attack roll if you roll a double one you always lose both aimed and acquired it's like you know just again the chaos of battle and uh We'll get into it more, but tank destroyers are particularly good at aiming. Yes. Um, when you're aiming, um, you, you've already acquired a target, so you don't have to worry about terrain. That's already mm -hmm. been dealt with. Right? Aim is probably the easiest step. Of course, I've only ever played TD, so maybe it's really easy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to throw another three on here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One, one thing about... Uh... One thing about aiming is, uh, just like acquisition or just like acquiring, uh, you you maintain the aim unless either vehicle moves. So it's not a line of sight thing necessarily. I mean, obviously you need to maintain line of sight, but oh, that's uh, right. the aim status uh, stays until one of the vehicles moves. So that's that's an important that's an important. Uh, Distinction, right? Distinction. So the number four die, I'll handle that. That's shooting, and all you got to do is roll a four, and you can send a round down range. Now, actually going through the the process is pretty easy. In fact, they've got uh, Eric alluded to it earlier. They've got a page that is just the firing procedure, uh, all the way from firing all the way down to uh, all the way down to assessing damage, and it's pretty easy. Uh, the first thing you do is you're going to take 2d6 and you're going to roll D, the 2d6. You're going to be looking for uh, if your target vehicle is only is 48 inches away or less, 
then you're going to roll, uh, you're going to look for a 6 or more on the 2d6. If it's 48 inches or more, uh, you require a 7 or more on the 2d6. So you've got some pluses and minuses. Uh, so for example, uh, they, they call it a plus 1 to required target for each intervening minor obstacle. So if you've got a hedge or low wall between you and the enemy vehicle, that's that's going to be an 8 to hit. A, a major obstacle such as uh, woods or uh, some type of building or obscuration from from that type of uh, obstacle, that's a plus 2. That means you're you're going to get kicked up to uh, to an 8 if you're under 48 inches. Again, we're going to talk about the attributes here later, but there is an attribute called small, which is going to be another plus 1 to hit. Uh, certain tanks are small. For example, the Hetzer is considered small. Now, if you're using multiple aim dice, it's minus 1 for your required uh, target number for each additional aim past the first aim. So now that we mentioned that uh, tank destroyers having the aim or the have the ability to change any one of their dice to an aim die, so yeah, you know, that's that's a plus one to hit or a minus one to the required target number uh, for each aim that you're using. Uh, now you can also change a wild die to an aim, basically. Uh, so that's another minus one, and then there are some uh, uh, other other aspects like uh, you can take damage uh, to your tank, which could cause a minus to hit or a plus to hit, and then there are bonus cards also, which might give you a, a bonus to to hit, and more on the bonus cards here in a little bit. So you find out what your target number is. You either roll more than or less than. And if you are equal to, and if you roll equal to or more than your required target, then you hit. So if you hit, that's when the fun starts. Every tank has a strike value and an armor value. Uh, you're going to roll a number of dice plus any modifiers, and we can discuss the modifiers later, to your strike. And you roll that many dice, and where you hit the tank determines what your target number is. So if you're shooting at the front, that's you're looking for fives to hit and sixes to cause a critical hit on the front. On the side armor, fours hit, but fives and sixes are critical hits. And then on the rear, threes hit, but four, fives, and sixes are critical hits. And then critical hits matter because the determines the type of damage that the target takes, and we'll discuss that here in a little bit. Now, if you're the defending player, you're going to take a look at your armor value, and you, and you are going to roll that many dice, plus any modifiers you might have, for saves. Now, only fives and sixes save, which can be pretty pretty unfortunate if you've, you know, if you're going up against a, a real heavy hitter or if someone happens to get on your side or rear, that can be a real ugly day because, again, you're only saving on fives and sixes. So, the attacking player rolls a strike, looking for whatever he needs to, to penetrate, and the defender rolls his armor, looking for fives and sixes. 
Now, if the number of saves exceeds the number of hits, it bounces off, there's no effect. If the number of saves equals the number of hits, it's called a superficial hit, and the firing player rolls a d6. On a 1 to 5, the target tank reverses directly backwards that many inches, which, of course, breaks the aim that the firing tank had. On a score of 6, the target vehicle loses a command die to temporary damage. Now, temporary damage is interesting because basically it represents, you know, the the shell hit hard enough to rattle the uh, rattle the confidence or the focus of the tank crew. So they're not quite as effective as they could be. Basically, it's like a it's like a morale uh, effect, for lack of a better term, and you're losing effectiveness of your crew. And and I like that there's not a separate role for morale effects in the game. And it's just built right into combat resolution, which I think is handy. Now, if you exceed the number of hits to saves, like if you've got more hits than saves, by one or two, that's a damaging hit. And temporary damage is defined as the preponderance of your hits are just hits, not critical hits. And what that means is you'll lose command dice equal to the number of excess hits. So you can you can lose one or two command dice to uh, to temporary damage, but those can be recovered by rolling a six and then applying that six to recover the the temporary damage die. Not a big deal. Permanent loss of a command die is. Uh, it's exactly that. That vehicle loses that command die for the for the rest of the game. They've got a damage ladder uh, built into the system, and that basically means uh, various effects based on whether you hit in the hull or in the turret. And uh, those those uh, effects accumulate over time, and uh, it won't be long once you start taking permanent damage. It it's, doesn't take long before the vehicle's knocked out. Now, if you happen to have three or more hits more than you have saves, then the target's destroyed. That actually, surprisingly, that doesn't happen as often uh, as, I, as I would expect, but uh, in doing some independent reading, it, it appears that the number of crews that were killed outright in their tank uh, was actually relatively low. If most of the hits are critical hits in the shot that took your tank out, then the crew is killed. And then otherwise, the crew is considered to have escaped. And then the firer uh, receives a kill ring. Now, the crew escaping is important to the career ladder, and we'll discuss that uh, here in a little bit. Yeah, My favorite part of this section is when you save your armor... Uh, and you can make that ping sound <laughs> or clang. Yeah, <laughs> sound effects always make a game better. So um, anybody that's been playing What a Tanker in the last week and have not made little engine sounds when moving their vehicle at least once, anyone who says that they haven't done that is lying. I <laughs> and Jay, I was I was gonna chime in. You're talking about the the crews bailing out. And uh, I was reading yeah. uh, a description, and this, this apparently was not something that was uncommon. Uh, th this is a British perspective, but a, a tank would be hit, the tank would be on fire, 
the ammo would be cooking off um, and men are clambering out of the tank. And I, I look at that scenario just as a, you know, the, the, you know, the clerk typist that I was. It's like I would think the tank gets hit, everybody dies, but no, it's on fire, stuff's exploding, and guys are climbing out. I, I can't imagine having to do that. That's firing combat in a nutshell. Something I have to mention because it did happen in, in our game yesterday. Um, actually, both these things happened. Uh, if in your roll to hit, if you roll snake eyes uh, or you roll uh, double sixes, boxcars, uh, if you roll a double one, then you've suffered a bad miss and or there's a problem with the firing mechanism and that immediately ends your turn and any targets that were acquired are lost and any aimed tokens are removed so don't roll those snake eyes but if you happen to roll boxcars then you hit a particularly weak spot in the targets armor and you receive two additional strike dice to reflect that and uh, the one kill that my that my stew mm. Uh, commanded by Feld Vabel Helmut Strop, his killing hit was on a double six, and I took out a <laughs> took out a Sherman that was uh, being run by our friend Jason. So, and that was the last hit of the game. Also, we we ended the game due to time constraints after that. But a lot of fun, a lot of ex you know potential for excitement. You know, doubles you're only gonna you know you're only gonna get. Uh, you know, you're only going to get that one in 36 times, but you know, if if your luck averages out, I think I didn't I get a double one also during yes, the game. Yes, you did. Yeah, so yeah, you take the good, you take the bad. So I remember when I played, I I had some particularly bad rolls, and I wasn't able to mm -hmm. do anything. Like I couldn't move into position to fire or aim or do anything, and then promptly when I finally got up to the position to fire i rolled double sixes and wiped yeah. someone out so yeah, you're never absolutely. you're never out so, of that game um, so we've we've acquired we've aimed we've shot now we got to reload and reloading is probably the simplest of the of the dice you just use the five and you reload and you mark your you mark your reload token on the dashboard and that's it so if you have the right combination of dice you could potentially fire more than once Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. You know, if you're if you're acquired and aimed already, I mean, you could you could potentially fire three times. Yeah, and, you could uh, go actually. Full, you um, could, uh, yeah. yeah, three would be the most you could fire in yeah. a single turn, I would guess. Uh, I think three. Yeah, the three most. would be the. Yeah, unless you've got the rapid fire attribute, and we'll we'll talk about attributes attributes here in a little bit. So that brings us to six, the wild die, and. Uh, uh, someone, whoever wants to take the wild die, go ahead and talk about the wild die. Well, I just want to chime in real quick and say the rules call it the wild dice, Jay. <laughs> okay, let me let me we'll uh, lynch him later. <laughs> <laughs> we'll suss that out once we get in the same zip code. We'll we'll take care of that. Real He's going to be in an unbuttoned tank in a firing alley. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes, that uh, the wild dice. Joel, please go ahead. Or was Eric who's going to take that? Um, Joel can do that one. I I had to do one. Well, I'll I'll say this about the wild dice. Um, this kind of goes back to the the construction of the rules. So as as I'm reading through the rules in each section, it says 
you know, you have a move die. Oh, if you have a wild dice, you can change it to a one and you can do this cool thing. Um, you know, in the section on uh, acquisition, if you have a wild dice, you can change it and you can do this cool thing. And I fully expect that I was going to have to flip back through the rule book to say, okay, what do I do for this, what do I do for that? And I thought, well, this is kind of nifty. In the section on the wild dice, it summarizes everything you can do with the wild dice, even if they mention it elsewhere in the rule book. In my experience with some other rule sets is they mention a rule once. There's never any indication in other sections of the rules that might uh, impinge on that, that, hey, you want to go look at this over here. Or let me, let me re-summarize that for you. So I like that they, that they included that in the rules. But the, the wild die is exactly that. It lets you turn it into a one, a two, a three, a four, or a five. Kind of like some of the other Lardy's rules, you don't have to decide what you're going to do with that die until you're ready to. If you want to move up and see if you get to move far enough before you decide whether or not you can use that wild die to be a one, you can do that. If you want to take a shot and wait to see the effect of the shot before you decide what you're going to do with your wild die, you know, that, that's perfectly acceptable. But essentially, if you roll a six, you can move, you can acquire, you can aim, shoot, reload, whatever. Or save it for adding to your next initiative die roll, or repair temporary damage. You can also add to your your attack roll with that. Yes. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can add it to your strike. I think you can add it to your strike or your to hit roll. Well, because right. you just make it a name. Yeah, you just make it right. a name. But yeah, it, it can give you a plus one. It can give you, and I I don't see now real quick if it's one or two extra uh, strike dice. It's one per six. One per six. You can wait until you've done everything, all your movement, all your shooting, and then say, you know what, I'm going to save this for my initiative and add one to your initiative roll next time. And that that's the, that's the rules in a nutshell. Um, we've got some some added-on Chrome to discuss. Uh, but that, I mean, the core of the game is the command dice system. Okay, so when you, like we discussed, when you, when you kill a tank... You well, hold on. Before we get into, into kills, let's talk about attributes. Okay, so the attributes are an important aspect of the game, also because, uh, like I said earlier, you basically have uh, you basically got th two stats. You've got your strike, which is basically how good a gun you've got, and you've got your armor, which is how thick or how good the armor is. Now you've got a number of special abilities, for lack of a better term, that they call attributes, and you just write those on your on your dashboard for the for the particular uh, vehicle that you're using. I think the most, just off the top of my head, I think the most attributes that any one vehicle has is four. It's the Italian uh, tank destroyer. I forget the the nomenclature on it. Right at the moment, it's the uh, Simavente forty-seven thirty-two, small, low-profile, fast TD. Yeah, TD stands for tank destroyer. So we alluded to it previously, but tank destroyer allows you to change any one of your command dice to aim. Uh, low-profile uh, basically requires your enemy to to use an additional target acquisition die to to acquire you. Which is fan, which is handy. Um, tanks that are fast may always convert one command die to drive per turn. 
tanks uh, slow means that your tank can never use more than two drive uh, dice to move forwards. Um, they can use additional drive dice to turn or rotate their turret or to negotiate obstacles, however. Uh, small tanks are harder to hit. That's a plus one to the score needed to hit. So if you've got a six and you're firing at a small tank in the open, now you've got a seven to hit. Uh, rapid fire is really interesting. I'd like to play around with a rapid fire tank at some point. Uh, with rapid fire, you can fire multiple times in one activation without needing to reload uh, in that activation. Uh, you either reload at the start or end of an activation to uh, utilize rapid fire. Uh, slow turret uh, basically means that you've got a slow or, or manual mechanism for turret rotation and uh, they cannot rotate their turret more than a maximum of 60 degrees in any turn. Heavy armor, uh, that's going to be your, your later war beasts uh, for the most part. Uh, when they are shot at the side or on the flank, it's considered as being shot from the front, so front it's a 5-6 to six to penetrate, on the flank it's a 5-6 to six to penetrate, and then when firing at tanks from the rear, the shot is calculated as though it is against the side armor. So even from the rear, it's only a 4, 5, or 6 to penetrate. And then finally, you've got Iron Fist. And what Iron Fist allows you to do is you get, uh, if you achieve multiple hits, the first hit is always permanent. And the second hit, if there is one, uh, might be uh, permanent, as, permanent damage as well, depending on how the criticals were rolled. So that really gives you a nice menu. Uh, to work from to really take a look at how the tanks worked in in real life and you can develop uh, tanks relatively easily uh, if they don't have a list provided yet uh, which I've, I find pretty interesting now the next step I guess we need to discuss are how the since we mentioned the career ladder multiple times how do you progress on the career ladder kill as the crew uh, gets kills, uh, you then get up to five, you become an ace. Once you become an ace, you have the option of moving up into the next level of tank. Uh, and in the career ladder, uh, there are tanks leveled one through seven. And then... You know, based off of what year they were ostensibly, you know, introduced. So for the Americans, uh, they actually don't start until 1943, which is their introduction into, uh, or actually 1942, with the M3 Grant and the M3 M5 Stewart going all the way up to 1940 with the level three tank all the way up to 1945 with the 75mm or the 105mm Sherman uh, or the M18 and the M24 uh, tank destroyers and fast tank. Once you've made your ace in that particular tank you can choose to move up to become a level 4 tank which then you have to start all over again. The other thing you can do as an ace is you can stay in that particular tank and that confers benefits to you. You get uh, sp uh, special what a tanker cards for each kill that you've made. You can also change 
any die to any other die once per turn if you stay as an ace so that that's kind of an offset do you want to be in a bigger faster more heavily armed or armored tank but back to square one so to speak or do you want to be you know rolling around in the same old uh, wagon and being able to do really nifty special stuff with it well, I thought the the career ladder would make for an interesting uh, you know afternoon play you know maybe instead of having five kills just if you get one kill hey you know now you get to play with this tank in the next game so there there are some interesting things I think you can do with that uh, you know if you're not wanting to do a serious long-term campaign you know a series of quick games a series of quick progressions I think we've covered enough covered enough out of the book at this point where we can maybe discuss some some of our plans uh, individually um, I know Chris and I have talked quite a bit about about what we'd like to do with it primarily because we're planning on taking it to uh, recruits this uh, September and have pretty much run it all day Saturday uh, we'll we'll discuss that here in a second but guys did you have any have you guys formulated any plans for uh, playing it with your groups where you are or I mean because we're definitely going to be playing it at J3 so oh, yeah. go ahead and bring your models um, with you I've got plans to uh, once my terrain shows up I ordered some trains actually it's coming from across the pond um, but once I get my train I'm going to run a, a maybe eastern front uh, Germans and Russians. I got some T-34s and Panthers, and I got the uh, Panzer IVs and some KV-85s. I'll have to look to see. I, I thought maybe I'd try and run something that was a little bit more historical, but with multiple, maybe n mm -hmm. nine tanks per side, but only two players. I'll I'll play with my uh, my good buddy Nate, and we'll we'll give it a shot. Um, I'm I'm also gonna. I think one of the things I'd like mm -hmm. to try um, is is something with like a more dense terrain we've been playing pretty open fields and TDs are pretty brutal um, I think I'd like to try something that's a little bit more dense and see how the more maneuverable tanks do in that situation one of the things I'd like to try and this this might be crazy sure. talk, is you know put on a game of chain of command slash water tankers so you've got a couple of guys moving infantry around the board using the chain of command rules um, a couple of guys moving you know, two, three tanks across the board using the um, the mm. water tanker rules. It'd be cool. I think uh, yeah. you just have to resolve That's how you do tank on troop and troop on tank. And the, you know, the stats are they're not identical. They're, they're comparable between the two games. But essentially, you know, mm -hmm. if you've got a tank with a strike of, you know, six, then rolling against an, inf an infantry squad, they're rolling, you know, six dice. And you'd resolve that just as you would in Chain of Command. If that makes sense, yeah. Exactly. It's pretty close to what they do already in Chain of Command. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably add... I would probably add some dice to that, because, I mean, you know, if you've got a strike of six, you know, that's that's an 85-millimeter gun, potentially, and six dice, that's less than an MG-34. I mean, you could just look up the Chain of Command dice that that particular tank gets and just add it to the... What a tanker yeah, there you go. template at the bottom. And, and there's there's some you'd have to do some work because you know you, what a tanker doesn't factor in machine guns on the tanks. 
You know, if you're and if you're engaging infantry with your tank, you're gonna be using your machine gun because that's what it's there for, or machine guns as the case may be. So I, uh, there's definitely potential there, and, and I actually had that thought in the back of my head also. Like, where would the interface points be? You know, uh, you would definitely get that would definitely open up the possibility of you know a little bit more granularity or detail if you wanted it on you know close yeah. assaulting I, tanks with infantry. You know, the 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 tank rules in chain of command, you know, they they work, but it's very clearly an add-on to a infantry-centric game. Yeah, I, th I think the notion of having a, a tank-on-tank fight while there's an infantry and entry fight going on, yes. and you know, a little bit of crossover, hey, we, we've got a Panzer Shrek and you're going to die kind of thing. Potentially. <laughs> <laughs> right. Pretty much. <laughs> Potentially. Potentially. So, yeah, I think that that definitely has some that definitely has some potential. Like I said, I thought about that myself. So it's It'll be worth looking into for sure. Um, now, with the prospect of running, running what a tanker over the the span of you know, two, possibly three sessions at recruits, we've got some ideas. Joel, you had mentioned uh, maybe allowing one kill to climb up the ladder. What we're kind of kicking around the idea, uh, an idea that we are kicking around is to allow people to keep their kills if they get knocked out but you've got a minus one to your to your kill ring tally when you get knocked out so you know you get it you you know you're you're rolling into the game with a panzer three and you get two kills and then you get knocked out yourself well that's one net kill for when you come on again with your next Panzer III, just by example. And then when you do finally get five kills through a combination of luck and skill, then you can jump up to the next to the next level if you're so inclined. Well, if you need someone to playtest that, uh, just let me know. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, what were some of the other... Oh, yeah. Um, we were also talking about having a... Because uh, we're we're gonna try to figure out a way mm -hmm. to do prizes for people who participate, and we're wanting to do not just total kills, but also the number of points that you take out. And if you take out the most points, then that's a that's a separate that's a separate prize. Oh, you could do or a separate bounce the most shots. I would example. love that one too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I want to. I don't think I want to <laughs> keep stats to that level. But <laughs> well, bounce the most shots for, for the, the defender, for the attacker, or the defender. I mean, survive yeah, yeah, yeah. the most hits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be. I don't know. It'd be cool. I don't to, know if I want to. I don't know. You get like, I'm sure I'll forget uh, something. I don't and... know something like armor related. <laughs> A stick of a yeah. stick of deodorant because you've been sweating it. <laughs> so, well, I, I guess we need uh, some final thoughts on the game, guys. Um, I'll go first. Um, I think it's a uh, simple to learn, uh, hard to master. I think, and and, and it's going to be every time you roll, it's going to be a different uh, different calculus. Um, I think there's some really nice um, aspects that 
you know, with the, the career track mm-hmm. that I'd like to get into, but we haven't yet. Um, uh, I thought that uh, the rules were very well written. And f- actually, just a, a side, there's a there's a rule in the uh, choosing a scenario section that made me laugh so hard <laughs> that I had to explain myself at work. So that was embarrassing that I was not doing what I was supposed to be doing anyway, but... Um, they're very, very clear, but they're also um, pretty cleverly written, I thought. I, I Well done. Those guys did a really good job again with uh, Chain of Command being mm-hmm. their first major win in my book. I haven't looked at that sharp practice stuff, although that looks really cool, too. Joel? Well, yeah, I'll echo what Eric said about the simplicity of the rules. You know, there is uh, some depth there. Um, I like the fact that there is some... You know, there's not a total abandonment of uh, historical principles you see with some with some games. You can see some of that friction of the tank commander in the game, but it is it is simple enough. I could, uh, yeah, I'm planning on introducing this game to some people that, you know, maybe wouldn't otherwise want to play a quote-unquote war game because you know th- those are so complicated. Here it's like you know, roll some dice. Hey Yahtzee, you you know you you've got a great round this time. <laughs> I was actually describing it to somebody as it, it's kind of like playing mm-hmm. Yahtzee with tanks. The, the, the better your, you know, you, the assortment of dice you have, uh, the better you're going to do that turn. And I'll, I'll just say, you know, Eric mentioned his favorite rule. I think my favorite picture in the rule book is on page 35, where they're, they're attempting to illustrate the difference in cover with a stug and a building, but it looks, because of the sequence, it looks like the stug <laughs> is slowly retreating and hiding out of sight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> it's like, uh, I'll be right back here. Maybe I should now. read the rule that made me <laughs> laugh. I'll go find it. Yeah, well, you know, it's doing what tanks destroyers are supposed to do. You know, it's just back up slowly <laughs> and trying to trying to avoid notice. <laughs> back up, backing up. Oh yeah, here we go. So the rule that made me laugh was uh, selecting the scenario before the game begins. Roll a d6 to select the scenario and consult the table below. On a roll of six, the fattest player <laughs> may choose the scenario. <laughs> I remember that first game we played, Eric. I had no idea what you're talking about. You said, "I weigh this many pounds." Yeah. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, final thoughts, Chris. Uh, I thoroughly enjoy the game. Um, I was listening to some of your previous podcasts, and uh, you, you had commented that uh, Chain of Command is by far your most favorite World War II uh, game. Mm-hmm. I would hazard to say that this might have supplanted Chain of Command. At least for me, definitely. Possibly for you as well, as much as we've talked about it recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... Chris, that I can only say heresy. <laughs> uh, I do like Chain of Command a lot. Oh, I do. Don't get me wrong. It's a great I'm gonna game. I'm going to have to say but, no. <laughs> but, uh, I do love is, this game. Don't get me wrong. But this is uh, Chain of Chain of Command set a new bar for me. But no, I everything about this game is uh, just just a great great uh, fun. The 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 buy-in is such a, a low point that just about anybody can get into it. Mm-hmm. I mean, seriously, you can even with buying the book. In a lot of cases, if you buy right, less than fifty dollars, and you've got a handful of tanks and uh, and the rules, and you're ready to go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and you know, like in our case, you know, we're. 
we haven't bought anything yet, you know, you and I, uh, that's going to change here shortly. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, it's it's very much, and I, uh, Rich and Nick mentioned that it's it's pretty much they've designed, you know, they designed it to be the type of game that you. You know, if you've already got stuff, it's not much to get into it because it's just a matter of, you know, you buy the rules and you don't have to buy their tokens in the universal tanker tool, and you just throw what you already have on, and maybe you've got a chain of chain of command game set up for later in the day, but everyone hasn't shown up yet, so you go ahead and bring what a tanker out, and you, you know, play it for 30, 45 minutes, maybe an hour at most, and and get some fun in that way. That's a great point. Um, this would definitely be a great filler game. I mean, it it, it could run as yeah, fast if, as fifteen if, minutes. You know, if if or the dice go, even. if if the dice really go your way, or maybe not your way, depend. You know, as the case may be, it could very easily go go like that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it it hits the right buttons for me. It's got the. It's got it's simple, but it's not simplistic. Um, you know, uh, there's another game that's very deep and has simple rules called chess. You know, you might have heard of it. Um, <laughs> I'm personally waiting for the second edition of chess to come out, but you know, those guys, those guys haven't produced anything new in a long time. But uh, yeah, that no, game's not supported anymore. There is a new chess coming out. It's got uh, two new pieces. Yeah. <laughs> oh, anyway, maybe that's another podcast. But no, maybe, uh, maybe not. No, the uh, it's it's very. The rules themselves are simple, but they're not simplistic. The way that the rules interface is it it so far in the games we've played have given a plausible result. Just like some many of the other Lardy rules, you get a plausible result in that if you use tactics of the period appropriately, then things should pretty much go the way you want them to. And if you don't apply the tactics of the time appropriately, then things aren't going to go your way. And it just does it the right way. You know, it, it works. You know, it does what it needs to do, and it works. So, um, on a five-point scale, guys, what would you give? What would you give what a tanker? Um, this is Eric. I give it a five. This is Joel. I'll give it a four, but only because Chain of Command is a five. Hmm. Bold statement. You you can have multiple fives, Joel. That's okay. Yeah, I would go five all the way, without hesitation. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna agree with uh, the preponderance in the room, and I'm gonna give what a tanker from two fat lardies five torsion bars out of five. <laughs> so five rings, five kill rings, five yeah. rings. There you go. Give it five kill rings out of Give five. It, it is an ace. It's jumping up. It's jumping up a level. So, uh, guys, thanks for coming on. I'm looking forward to uh, setting up the webcam and and playing What a Tanker again in the near future. It's it's been a blast so far. I'm looking forward to having more fun with it. Yeah, I've enjoyed uh, the conversation. Looking, yeah, it's looking like uh, yeah, absolutely enjoy the conversation as well as always. Rather than listening to you people drone on, I checked my email and it looks like our uh, friendly local game store, Titan Games, is going to be able to get some of the stuff I wanted to order in. So that's pretty handy. That works well so, for me too. Up, nice. up first on my 
Yeah, up first on my list is going to be the uh, late model Panzer Threes from uh, Plastic Soldier Company, and uh, I'm looking at the uh, looking at the photos on their website, looking at how I can outfit these vehicles and with just a few magnets, maybe uh, change some stuff around and have multiple tanks for uh, uh, for going up and down the the career ladder. So anyhow. Uh, Guys, uh, thanks again for coming on. Uh, really enjoyed having you on. Really looking forward to not just playing over webcam, but playing in person at J3. Maybe sooner. Uh, Eric will let you know. Uh, next time we go to Titan Games, maybe you can come down from Chicagoland and uh, make a weekend of it or something like that. I'm in Springfield next week. Next week. Ooh. Just saying. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Yeah, we'll have to... Ugh. And we have an exciting new gaming space in Kansas City now. Chris has been there. Yep. Oh, nice. Yeah, where's where's that? My son's house. Oh, that's right. He, that's he's right. a bachelor and has a big empty basement. <laughs> hey, even better. And I and I hear he has uh, some very nice... Uh, very nice terrain for the village of Normandy. Yes, he's got the entire village of Normandy. <laughs> Is that a premium? <laughs> yeah, with well, now you got to tell the story. I got to tell Joel. the story. So, um, <laughs> just just a little bit of background. We had homeschooled our kids in in middle school, and you know you always get a little bit of grief when you do something a little bit out of the ordinary. And Ian got into gaming, I don't know, two or three years ago. He was out at his, his first recruits, and we ran into Chris Arnold. And Ian had just gotten a really great deal on a bunch of uh, French buildings, World War II era French buildings. And uh, runs into Chris Arnold, and Chris says, Ian, what did you get? And Ian replies, I got the village of Normandy. And Chris just turns and looks at me and shakes his head. And I felt so ashamed. <laughs> Do what you yeah. can. So, you know, poor, hey, he's a gamer. poor guy. Every Give time we slide. see him now, that's what we tease him about. <laughs> oh, man, if I ever meet your son, I'm going to call him uh, Village of Normandy. <laughs> hey, Vaughn. Yeah. So, all right. Well, guys, again... Thanks so much. Uh, really enjoy it. Uh, the discussion, this game in particular. So, all we've got to do now is is wrap everything up. So, with that in mind, as always, if the war gaming you're having isn't any fun, you make it fun. That is all. The veteran war gamer copyright J Arnold, 2018. Be sure to leave a positive review on iTunes. If you'd like to join the discussion, head to the blog at theveteranwargamer.blogspot.com Music courtesy of binsound.com